In a near-unanimous vote in June, both houses of the state legislature signed off on a bill, which has since been signed into law by Governor Kathy Hochul, designed to ensure that state environmental officials embrace nature-focused solutions to shoreline stabilization efforts in New York. To discuss what this could look like in practice, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Jeremy Cherson, Senior Manager of Government Affairs for Riverkeeper. Welcome back to the show, Jeremy. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So state environmental officials are now supposed to encourage the use of nature-based solutions as the preferred means of stabilizing tidal shorelines in the state. In the past, what decisions has the state made in pursuit of shoreline stabilization that haven't necessarily been best for nature from your perspective? Well, we have a long history in the state of turning our backs on the waterfront, and it's only been relatively recently that people have come back to the Hudson River or other waterfronts as being kind of a preferred place for people to go, tourists to come, for economies to flourish. And for a long time, people have tried to fight against nature, and that's getting harder and harder with sea level rise, increased precipitation due to climate change, one of the impacts we are feeling uh, in New York in particular, And so if you're on the Hudson River, for instance, uh, on a boat, as I was uh, this past Sunday, you'll see kind of a range of shoreline stabilization techniques and management practices that, that you can kind of see spanning the various decades that they were constructed. And, And this goes all the way from, you know, walls right up to the water going into the water uh, concrete or stone masonry work, um, or a gentle slope with bushes and, and, and grasses to riprap, which is kind of like loose rocks and stone. Um, and all of these types of management styles have, have different impacts on the ecosystem. So then moving forward, what are the low-hanging nature-based approaches to shoreline stabilization that you hope state officials embrace? Well, we've already started embracing many of these techniques, and it was really great working with um, Senator Mayer and Assemblyman Steve Otis, as well as the DEC on this legislation, because many of the things that we worked on within the Living Shorelines Act are already put forward and supported by DEC and the New York State Department of State as guidance. But, you know, the issue with guidance is it's just that. There's no requirements to move policy forward and accept kind of the best available science or knowledge of the day, which is we know that putting a wall right at the shoreline, when you have a storm, there's nothing to absorb uh, that wave action, that that friction, the water just gets pushed into somebody else's yard, some other community, because that's just basic physics. So what we've tried to do over the past decade or so with guidance is push people towards, you know, something as simple as right at the shoreline have native grasses or willow bushes that can kind of break the wave action, provide habitat uh, for birds, uh, young fish, uh, insects, um, or as far as kind of a bioengineered design where you could have kind of 
a layered approach even below the the surface with logs or uh, other types of design to to let water really filter into the edge and really capture a lot of that wave action to break up some of the erosion and impacts. Uh, so that kind of technology, that type of nature-based design, um, the bioremediation type design has really entered a new phase of acceptance. Um, and there's a lot of experts within New York uh, in the Northeast that are uh, applying that. So we're really kind of something that a decade ago would have been kind of out there and not quite ready for prime time ha has really developed into a, a full-fledged economy. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners uh, just joining us. You're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Jeremy Cherson, Senior Manager of Government Affairs for Riverkeeper. The language, though, of this new law is a bit ambiguous with this idea that the state is encouraged to focus on nature-based solutions. So do you feel like this prioritization is meaningful and not just a, a token form of consideration? I think it's meaningful because we had to work around the idea that not every site at the shoreline is going to be suitable for these types of bioengineered design or even kind of the simple example I gave of just having a slope with grass or willow on it, that there are going to be many instances given the diverse shorelines of our state's tidal waters where we can't do nature-based features, or we're limited in the type of nature-based features we can apply at any given property. And so that flexibility was really required to put into the law. And we didn't want to be too prescriptive because the science is constantly changing at the moment and our knowledge about the best way to design shorelines it is changing and building every single day. And so what we're looking at now and expecting to work with on with uh, with DEC on the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation is putting forward regulations and new guidance to strengthen the intent of the law, but to do it in a way where if things change a decade from now, we don't have to go back to the legislature to get that changed, we can work within the agency through regulations to update the best shoreline practices. Does the new statutory language, though, create a pathway for a group like Riverkeeper to more easily, say, take the state to court for not being environmentally prudent with its shoreline stabilization decisions? So if you decide that there was an opportunity, say, for a, a nature-based uh, approach and you feel like the state did not embrace that, does this legislation give you uh, a new leg to stand on to compel action? Not so sure about that. I know that, you know, in many, in many cases of state environmental conservation law, there's limited opportunities for litigation um, from nonprofits. That's why we have another um, piece of legislation that we've looked at for many years that would allow citizen suits for environmental conservation laws um, because it doesn't necessarily work the way the Federal Clean Water Act and mm. Clean Air Act work, where any citizen can be given standing in court 
but we certainly anytime a permit is uh, applied for, there is a public comment period and to the extent stakeholders who have an interest in seeing living shorelines implemented uh, or local community members uh, can weigh in with public comments on permits that are pending. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. We've been speaking with Jeremy Cherson. He is a senior manager of government affairs for Riverkeeper. Jeremy, thank you so much for making the time and talking living shorelines with us. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.